Alexa, sing me the pie song. Welcome to yet another episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm your host, Chris, and all, and as always, I am joined by my friend, Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello once again, everybody. Now, this one, this episode, you might need to hide in the shadows with some shroud so that you have some extra protection. This episode, we're covering protection and shroud. Now, this is going to be part one of a two-part, of our first two-part uh, episodes uh, in this one, we're going to be covering protection and shroud. Next episode, we'll be co- covering hexproof and ward. Um, so that's the basic idea for this two-parter. Um, Joe, have you been working on any decks? Yes, because I'm always working on new decks and looking for something new. Before our last get-together, I built a morph deck built around the commander Kadena. This is one that I've, I've actually been wanting to build for a while. But I never just took the leap and just did it. Because I didn't have a lot of the morph cards. You know, I'd have to go get a lot of them. But it turns out they're pretty cheap. So I didn't have to, like, invest too much in the deck. Morph, though, always had a special place in, like, my memories from Magic the Gathering. Because it was debuted in Onslaught when I started playing. So it was one of those abilities. You know, I always tried to build something around it. But I never really had the wallet to try to build a real morph deck. And to be fair, there wasn't a real morph deck that was very competitive at the time. But now that uh, they they got some more support during the Tarkir block, and they got their own commander deck, there's a lot of good support for the morph ability now. So I got to play it once. It was enjoyable. I want to play it again, try to keep honing it, fine-tuning it, try to make it better. Chris, what are you building now? So, all right, I'm going to try to get this in one take. Uh, I am still fine-tuning Galazeth Prismari, the, and that one is my like Voltron spell slinger. I'm still trying to get it where I want it. It, it's a hassle to do it just because I want to I want to get a lot of benefit, but I also want to keep it as streamlined as possible. And finding that nice balance yeah. is really hard, especially with the idea that I have for it. So that one's still working on. Um, I did have a um, brawl style deck with Tigrid. I took that apart and made it to a full fledged commander. Nice. And that one is kind of like a discard slash control oh, commander fun. deck for you, not for us. Yeah, no. I mean it's we'll, mono, we'll hate that. It's mono black control, so it's a little <laughs> limited in what I can do. But um, thank you, Power Creep, for giving me some good cards. Feed the swarm. I finally black finally has enchantment destruction. And but lately, I've been mostly focused on building a standard legal deck. Because our LGS, local game store, uh, is now doing in-person Friday Night Magic again, which I'm super excited about because I miss playing with strangers outside of my normal playgroup. So, right. it, you know, you get to see different things. The only downside is, is because I've been playing so much Commander, it's hard for me to get back into building right a standard deck because I'm so used to making it to where it's only one and trying to get it streamlined down to 60 cards yeah and having multiple like it's been tough but i think i might have an idea of what i'm going to be running i mean can't go wrong with red deck wins no you cannot all right so words to live by 
Uh, I'm going to take the first one. Joe, you'll take the second one. Cause, Sounds uh, good. The second one's a little longer, but it's also more in your wheelhouse. Sounds good to me. All right, so the first one is rules enforcement level. This is how strict a judge will be at a competition, a competitive event when penalizing a player for errors. There are three levels of rules enforcement, regular, competitive, and professional. Like those levels say, Joe's going to touch on uh, regular next, but as they kind of say in the rules, uh, rule enforcement level, regular isn't going to be that strict, competitive might be a little stricter, and professional it's going to be the strictest because that's where everyone's eyes are. And so they have to make sure right. that they're doing all the right things. So Joe, why don't you tell us about regular rules enforcement level? So when you go to a lot of the, your, your organized events, you're going to hear if there is a judge or even if there isn't a judge, your tournament organizer who will essentially act as the judge at that point should announce the enforcement level for the event. And for a lot of our new players especially, it's a good idea if you start at regular REL. Regular rules enforcement level tournaments are focused on fun and social aspects, not so much enforcement of the rules necessarily. Most tournaments are run at this level unless they offer really sizable prizes or invitations to bigger events. So for example, your Friday Night Magic, regular REL. Your pre-release tournaments, regular REL. At these events, players are expected to know most of the game rules, and you may have heard of what we call policy and what is quote-unquote really bad. But generally, you play in a fashion that's similar to the way you will casually play. Mistakes happen. You're still responsible for following the rules, but when you do make mistakes, the focus is on educating you on as to how the game is supposed to be played and making sure there's good sportsmanship over technically precise play. There is actually a short document that covers regular rules enforcement level. It's called the Judging at Regular Rules Enforcement Level Document, or the JAR. Uh, it's only two pages long. Highly encourage you to go check it out. Read it before you go to an FNM. And really, please keep in mind, when we're talking regular REL, most of the time, if you make a mistake, the judge is going to look at you and say, okay, let's fix it, or this is the way the game is at this point, move on from here. You're only getting penalties if you continually make the same mistake, and you're only getting disqualified at regular uh, regular REL if you do something that is extremely bad, like cheating, theft, assault of another player you know we're, we're at the table yeah we're we're talking things that are uh, uh generally unwanted behaviors here all right so um you know even though it is a rules enforcement level just keep in mind we're still wanting people to come have fun and the judge will be there to teach you how to play the game correctly if you make a mistake all right, with all of our words to live by, let's dive into our main topic. So we're going to cover this one a little bit differently today. Since we are talking about two main, two big concepts, both protection and shroud, we're going to go over protection first, and then we'll talk about shroud. So Chris, start us off with the history of protection. All right, so protection originated with ABRU, or Alpha Beta Revised unlimited 
Um, and this was with the um, color ward cycle. So um, those ones were enchantments that gave protection. Um, it, mo it began mostly as protection from a single color, but then branched out uh, into more interesting concepts, such as like artifacts, card types, um, specific creature types, those kinds of things. It, it's never really gone away or been overly active. There's always a few cards in each set that um, have or grant protection of some kind. Um, so it's been around since the beginning. It's just that it's not very focused on, but it is still part of magic. So that's the history of it. So Joe, why don't you take the rules? Okay. The rules for protection. Now, I want to start off by saying there are a lot of individual rules for protection. So again, as always, I encourage you, go check out the comprehensive rules so you can know exactly everything. I am not going to include all of the rules when we start talking about these today. However, I will read the biggest, most important rules so you'll understand how protection works in the big scheme of things, and really it's the other rules are kind of corner cases. They'll pop up from time to time, but most of the time you don't have to worry about them. So, the rules for protection. The rule is 702.16. Protection is a static ability, written, quote, protection from quality, quote. This quality is usually a color, as in protection from black, but can be any characteristic value or information. If the quality happens to be a card name, it is treated as such only if the protection ability specifies that the quality is a name. If the quality is a card type, subtype, or supertype, the ability applies to sources that are permanents with that card type, subtype, or supertype, and to any sources not on the battlefield that are of that card type, subtype, or supertype. 702.16b a permanent or player with protection can't be targeted by spells with the stated quality and can't be targeted by abilities from a source with the stated quality. 702.1c6. A permanent or player with protection can't be enchanted by auras that have the stated quality. Such auras attached to the permanent or player with protection will be put into their owner's graveyards as a state-based action. 702.16d. A permanent with protection can't be equipped by equipment that has the stated quality or fortified by fortifications that have the stated quality. Such equipment or fortifications become unattached from that permanent as a state-based action, but remain on the battlefield. 702.16e. Any damage that would be dealt by sources that have a, the stated quality to a permanent or player with protection is prevented. 702.16f. Attacking creatures with protection can't be blocked by creatures that have the stated quality. 702.16m. Multiple instances of protection from the same quality on the same permanent or player are redundant. And again, I did not go through all of the specific rules from the comprehensive rules, but those are the big ones that are going to apply to a majority of the times you will see protection. So that's what you're really looking for. Chris, start us off with our featured cards that feature protection. All right. So because 
protection has been around since the very beginning of Magic, there are a lot of cards that we can pull from. So, uh, the first little bit that I'm going to um, talk about is the ward cycle. So, this cycle is um, from ABRU, uh, and it's a enchantment. All of them cost. All of them are white, and they all cost one white mana, and they effectively are all the same thing. It's just that they do they grant protection from a different color, um, and there are five uh, wards, and that's white, blue, black, red, and green. And each one of those is grants protection from said color. So uh, black ward would uh, grant protection from black. Um, now there is a sixth ward, and it's still a enchantment uh, creature enchantment for a single white, and that is artifact ward. It doesn't grant protection but it does check the three major boxes from uh, for protection uh, because it um, can't be blocked by artifact creatures. Uh, it prevent all damage that would be dealt to enchanted creature by artifact sources. An enchanted creature can't be the target of artifact sources. So because it hits those three boxes, that's why artifact ward is considered here for protection because it does hit all those boxes it just doesn't grant protection by the keyword um the second one is yavamaya scion and that's the first creature that had protection from artifacts and that's a four four tree uh creature tree folk for a four and a green and it was from urza's legacy then there's uh, Shoreline Raider, which is the first creature with protection from another creature type, which is Kavu. And that one was from Invasion. Then there's uh, Sabu Tavik, which is the only creature that has protection from uh, legendary creatures. And that one was from Invasion as well. Uh, the, big, the biggest one that a lot of people know about is Progenesis. Because it's the first creature with protection from everything. And that and Progenesis is just a monster of a card. It's w w <laughs> Not only was it a monster of a card, it was a monster of a rules conundrum. <laughs> plus it's People trying to break Progenitus. <laughs> plus it, it's not cheap mana-wise because it costs two white, two blue, two black, two red, two green. So mana value of 10 for mm -hmm. a 10-10. Um, but there was a second uh, creature that yes, had protection from everything. And this is actually the only creature that has that gains two instances of protection. Right. Because it's a leveler, and that one is Hex Drinker. Now, this one's a really weird card because it has different levels. Um, so for you play it for a single green mana, um, and it starts out as like level zero. But you can pay mana to level it up. And once you have it, um, once you have it at level 3 through 7, it gets protection from instance, and then from level 8 and on, it has protection from everything. Um, and we'll talk more about leveler cards in another episode, yeah. so you understand more what we're talking about there. Um, but those ones are the few of the very many that we wanted to kind of 
highlight because most of them were the first or the only. Right. Um, now, for the dominant colors, as you can kind of tell with the ward cycle, it's mostly a white concept, but it does appear in every color and, and colorless as well with artifacts. Um, but, like I said, it's mostly dominated by white. Joe, are there any featured decks with protection? No! No, there are not! We're just going to be very clear about that. There are no decks that are focused around the protection aspect. Uh, protection is just such a narrow, uh, narrow, narrow focus that the odds of you showing up to a tournament and facing off against that deck which your deck has protection from every single time it's it's just not going to happen so there are no decks that feature protection however there are a number of cards with protection that show up in decks but they have another use in that deck for example there is currently a mono green deck mono green mid-range deck that uses the card stone coil serpent stone coil serpent has protection from multicolored but that's not why it's in the deck. It's just an added bonus of Stone Coil Serpent. All right, so you see it, but there is no deck that features, that at least that I can find. I was actually thinking about building a Progenesis Commander deck that is Protection Tribal. If you can do that, we will errata this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, but. But I have to go through all of my cards and figure out what I have right. and everything like that. So, But because these Wooburg, it's possible because I'm also looking at getting the Ward Cycle and even the Circle of That's Protections. True. But. So, Chris, now that we've talked about, you know, there, there really isn't a featured deck, talk to us about using the protection ability. If you're playing with this ability or you're playing against this ability, what do you want to do? All right, so first and foremost... Protection tends to be very narrow, so make sure the protection that you have is useful. Um, don't use a card with protection simply because it has protection. You want to have, um, you want there to be a reason why you have it in there besides protection, like Stone Coil Serpent. It isn't in there just because it has uh, protection. It's there because it fits into that deck. Um, take advantage of the protection benefits you have. So if you are uh, pro-black, uh, just so you know, uh, if you hear me say pro or prot, that means it has protection from uh, whatever I say after that. So if, you're, if you have a prot-black deck and you're, um, and you're going up against a mono-black deck, well, hands down, you have the upper hand because... Your opponent is very limited at what they can do to your stuff. So that was if you were playing with protection. If you are playing against protection, because protection again is very narrow, the odds that the protection that you're up against, probably not that frequently. Um, if a card has protection from your cards, devote resources to eliminating it only if it's causing you a severe problem. And then lastly, you want to remember that protection has its limits. If a creature is prop black, it can't be targeted by a removal spell, but it can still be affected by a mass 
minus X minus X spell. So the biggest way to get around protection is to not target it, um, but to do it as global. Um, so you affect everything on the board rather than just that and it can't be damaged because protection prevents damage from that spell so you'll want to do like minus x minus x spells stuff of that nature stuff to kind of manipulate their toughness to get it to die for protection in different formats you don't see it frequently enough most of the time protection again is very narrow and that you don't really see it as a focus in different formats but it is present in all formats in some way, shape, or form. Alrighty, so I think that about covers it for protection. I think so. So let's cover Shroud. Joe, you want to take this this little bit? Sure. So the concept of Shroud really has been around since Legends, but it didn't have that as a keyword ability. You'll see the rules text for Shroud actually printed on the card. It didn't actually become a keyword ability until Future Sight. And Shroud is still around, but it was used less once Hexproof was developed, and it's probably going to be used even less now that Ward has been developed. And we'll talk more about this in our next episode. Real quick, because I just thought about it. A lot of the keywords that we have now from our previous episodes, um, it seems like Future Sight is where they did all the keywording. That is, that, there's a lot of them, yeah. Because I think Reach was keyworded in Future Sight. No, I think Reach was earlier. No. Because I remember, because it was, um, yeah. Cause, yeah, I think it was keyworded in Future Sight. Because there's been a couple that we've done so far that have, that we've said has been keyworded in yeah, Future Sight. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Because Reach was originally in from Alpha. Yeah. But it didn't get keyworded till... But I remember in, in the Onslaught block, it was still may block as though it had flying. Yeah. Or may block creatures that have flying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Future Sight seems to be where all the keywords come from. That's true. Yeah. Well, at least all the like uh, evergreens come from. Right. At least. Mm -hmm. The rules for Shroud are actually very simple. There's only two, two rules. Chris, do you want to go ahead and give us some rules? Yes. So for Shroud... It is 702.18a. Shroud is a static ability. Shroud means this permanent or player can't be the target of spells or abilities. 702.18b. Multiple instances of Shroud are the same, uh, on the same permanent or player are redundant. Very simple, very easy. So our featured cards for Shroud... We have a bunch of them that we're going to talk about, and they're all a little bit different and have some important, unique aspect to them. So the first one, and I hope that I say this right, Svelunite. Nope, that can't be right. Svelunite. The card is from Fallen Empires. <laughs> Which, oh my word, I called the I, I called it Fallen Kingdoms earlier. It's Fallen Empires. Oh my, so sorry everybody. I don't know why I thought it was called called Fallen Kingdoms. It's Fallen Empires. So let's get this right. Um, it's okay, it is, Joe. I remember my first day. Svael Unite <laughs> Priest, and that's where we're gonna leave it. All right. It is. It has the ability to blue tap target creature may not be the target of spells or effects until end of turn. 
and, and really the Oracle text now says target creature gains shroud until end of turn. Uh, activate only during your upkeep. So uh, this came out during Fallen Empires. Again, just a nice, easy understanding of, of how far back this ability actually goes. The next one we have is Pemon's Aura. This is from Scourge. It is an, an enchant creature, an aura, for one colorless blue-blue. And it has a number of abilities that go with it, but the important one is one blue, uh, and then enchanted creature can't be the target of spells or abilities this turn. And again, that came out in the Scourge set. Next, we have Quagnoth. This is from Future Sight, and this is where Shroud actually became keyworded. It is a creature beast for five colorless and a green. It is a four five creature, and it has Shroud. Again, the first card that we see that actually has Shroud as a keyword. Next, we have Whisper Silk Cloak. Whisper Silk Cloak is an equipment from Darksteel. It costs three colorless, and it is equipped for two, and it says equipped creature is unblockable and can't be the target of spells or abilities. And again, this is one of those early ideas when you have with equipment that basically just gave a creature shroud, and it's become a staple, especially in the commander format in uh, recent years. The final card we wanted to talk about is called Solitary Confinement. Solitary Confinement is an enchantment for two colorless and a white. It's most recently being released in Modern Horizons 2. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Solitary Confinement unless you discard a card, you skip your draw step, and then you have Shroud and prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. But this was originally printed back in the Judgment set, which... I bring it up because it, it, it really goes to show again that while Shroud isn't going to be used a lot in, in new expansions, necessarily standard legal expansions, these cards are going to get reprinted. And even the newest set, which at the time of this recording, Modern Horizons 2 releases tomorrow, or sorry, pre-releases tomorrow, uh, you're still seeing these cards with Shroud come into play. They're just probably aren't going to be a lot of new cards coming out. So just to give you an idea of some of the featured cards, Chris, talk to, about, talk to us about the dominant colors for Shroud. So Shroud appears mostly in green and blue. There are some white, a few black, but no mono red. There's a few multicolors and even a few artifact cards. Um, so it is spread out relatively across all the colors minus yeah. minus red mostly r blue and green um but all in all there is still uh shroud is present in um most of the colors right and just like protection shroud doesn't really have a featured deck nope it just doesn't <laughs> Shroud is just one of those things where it's a lot like protection. It's It's been around for a while, but it isn't the sole focus of a deck. It's nice to have it because in my Arcades deck, there is one creature in it that does have Shroud, and it's a beast, and that's <sighs> Wall of Denial. No, it's a jerk. <laughs> in my hands, it's a beast. Thank you very much. But... <laughs> All in all, there are no featured decks. Right. Um, and 
that's just because it's so narrow and it's more of a it, shroud is more like icing on the cake. Yeah, like it's just an added bonus that you get. Um, and you certainly won't see Shroud in the current standard because, again, they're not making new cards with Shroud. So, When you start to play with the Shroud ability, there are several things you need to keep in mind. First, remember that the card with Shroud can't be targeted. So you have a lot of opportunities to be aggressive with it, assuming that, of course, it can get through. Because keep in mind, they can still block the creature, but they can't target it with any removal or anything like that. So be aggressive with it if it fits your game plan. But also remember that while this card can't be targeted, that means you can't target it either. <laughs> so you have to plan your protection for that card accordingly or your use for that card accordingly. Is it your goal to have that card get you know, destroyed some way through combat so that you can gain an advantage off of that? That's fine. But just keep in mind, your protection has to be very unique for a card with Shroud. And as we said earlier when we were talking about the featured decks, it's really best to ensure that your card has another use besides Shroud to ensure that it really functions well within that deck. Uh, again, we were talking about the Wall of Denial in the Arcades deck. The, the Wall of Denial, I think it also has Flying, correct? Flying Defender Shroud. Yeah. And it's a 0841 white and a blue. Exactly. So being that it's in your Arcades deck, it assigns damage based off of its toughness, not its power. So it, it's really just a massive wall with Flying at that point. The fact that it has Shroud is really just icing on the cake. That yeah, makes it, it difficult it, for your opponents to remove. Um, and it's cheap for what is essentially then an 8-8 wall. Yeah, I mean, that's why I built the deck, because it's my Sir Mix-a-Lot deck, because I like big butts. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're playing against Shroud, again, remember that that card can't be targeted. There are several cards that don't target, but can remove that problem. So make sure you plan your removal effectively. And if a, again, if a shroud, if, if excuse me, if a card has shroud, odds are it is going to be a problem for you. It's not like protection where you can sort of like let it go, and if it's not so much of a problem, don't worry about it. If a card has shroud, it's probably in there for a reason, and it's going to make your life miserable. So plan your removal options as openly as possible. So you can try to get around that. Now, obviously, that also depends upon your format. If you're playing standard, you don't have to worry about Shroud. But if you're going to maybe a modern tournament or uh, you know, or even a legacy uh, tournament, or if you're playing Commander, you you are you might have to worry about Shroud. So just make sure you plan your removal uh, as openly as possible when you're constructing your deck or figuring out your sideboard. Right. So I want to add in one thing with how to play it. Yeah. Um, if, so I'm going to be using Whisper Silk Cloak in this example. Okay. So if you have if you have a creature on the board and you have Whisper Silk, uh, if you have like two creatures on the board and you have one of them equipped with Whisper Silk Cloak, you can still enchant it. You just have to move that Whisper Silk Cloak off of him, off of it, onto True. another creature, enchant, use your enchantment on the first creature. And then move the Whisper Silk Cloak back. Because at that point, it is already enchanted. It has already been targeted. And also, you can now 
the enchantment will stay on. Right. Um, and that also fits with uh, lightning griefs. Right. Which really, depending on what you're going for, mm-hmm. if you want to make it so you can just uh, enchant creatures real quick, lightning griefs is really the better option because of its equip cost of zero mm-hmm. compared to having to pay to equip so, Whisper So Cloak. But it gets around the same point. You are correct. You can remove the equipment... Enchant the creature, then re-equip the creature, and the enchantment stays. All right, because it just because it has shroud at that point doesn't mean it kicks the enchantment off. The enchantment will stay because it didn't have shroud when it was enchanted. So that's a good point. When I learned about that little thing, that changed my complete view on the game because then that opened up more possibilities on what I can do. And uh, let's just say a creature with shroud and an enchantment with totem armor. Is really fun. That is, yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind on that same point, though, if you are talking about an equipment with shroud or an equipment giving your creature shroud, if you go to remove the equipment, once that equipment has been removed, your creature is open for removal. And even if you activate the equipment again to re equip the creature, that's when your opponent can swing in and in response, they can remove the creature. So just keep those things in mind when you are are planning your, you know, to remove equipment with shroud and put it back on a creature. So, uh, yeah. But an excellent point, Chris. Very important for people to know. When we get to different formats for for shroud, again, you really just don't see it all that often, um, and there there really aren't decks that are based around shroud. The benefits for Shroud are great, usually. If you can work around it. Yeah. But the drawbacks of not being able to protect it as efficiently or as easily make it a little less useful sometimes. So the cards with Shroud, too, when you start looking at them, they don't function well together. So it's kind of like you can't build a deck based around Shroud because the cards don't all work well together. So typically, if you see the Shroud ability on a creature, it's a secondary importance. It's not the primary reason that card is in the deck. Usually. Not always the case, but usually. So, Chris, I think that about wraps up our discussion on protection and Shroud. Is there anything we missed? Mm, I think we covered it all. Okay. Well, wait, we did miss one thing, and you're going to have to do some editing. So, like all things, this comes with a disclaimer. Oh, yes. We forgot our disclaimer. <laughs> I don't think we need to worry about it. I think it'll be... By this point, I think people ought to know. This is episode eight. I think they'll get it. We'll be fine. Yeah, usually, they don't start at eight. Usually, they start at one. But yeah. So be it. Yeah. Um, lucky for us, though, there's no extended reading because of last, because of last episode. That's with it true. being the long one. So... Lucky for us, there's no extended reading. However, keep in mind, I will not always be this generous. <laughs> Next episode, there will be extended reading again. But I figure you're still trying to digest uh, priority in the stack from the command zone. So enjoy that. And seriously, if you haven't listened to it yet, go listen to it. Go watch it. It's a great, wonderfully informative episode on priority and the stack. All right, Chris. We didn't write out a question, so we're going to do this improvised. <laughs> I, I, w- I noticed that, and so I actually was kind of thinking of something. Okay. When building a deck, do you start with the idea first, or do you start with, like, a single card? Okay. 
Or like, do you start with like mid range control, something like that, or do you start with like a single card? Well, first, it depends on the format. If obviously, if we're building a commander deck, I'm focusing mostly on the commander and what I can do with the commander. Not always the case, though. Sometimes I have an idea, like I I have been wanting to build an Azorius control deck for Commander. That's not the easiest thing to do, but I would really like to build one. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to figure something out, and there I'm starting with an idea, a theme. You know, I want to have a control deck, you know, and make sure it'll work correctly. Um, but usually I do start with a card when it comes to Commander. When I'm thinking about Standard, I'm, I'm not so much thinking about a card, but more of an idea. You know, this, this is how I want to approach the deck. This is the the goal of the deck, kind of an idea. Um, and so again, I, I guess I'll go back to Azorius Control because I think that does a nice job of really illustrating the idea. Um, when you're looking at a control deck, you want to control the early parts of the game. So you need to have counter spells, removal, things like that, uh, that take creatures or threats out of play. And then you need to have one or two win conditions. Here's how you're actually going to win the game in the long run. Um, you know, whether it's creature-based, whether it's enchantment-based, whatever it happens to be, it happens to be. But I'm thinking more along those lines then. You know, I have a concept, an idea in mind, and then I'll pick cards that I think best fit. Uh, number one, what I want to do, and number two, my budget. You know, because again, standard decks aren't always cheap either. Uh, you know, so that's just sort of my thought process. Chris, what's yours? So again, like you said, it depends on the format. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time with Commander, I'm the type that will try to, if I'm building a Commander deck, whatever it does, I kind of want to either go down that direction, like with Azuri, with Azuri, um, Renegade Leader. Mm -hmm. That's very much a elf tribal deck, but for something like Kami of the Crescent Moon, where all is, all he is all is, his says is each player draws an extra card on their on their draw step. Not that much you can do with that, but the way that I kind of had an idea to build that one was punishing effects hmm. for me drawing cards. So if I were yeah. to so um, psychic. Corrosion, uh, Jason's right. Erasure, stuff that mills people. Uh, Sphinx's Tutelage is a really good one. Yeah. So the more cards I draw, the more punishing it is, even though everyone else is. Mm -hmm. There's also ways to limit um, players from drawing cards. Right. Um, case in point, I actually thought about putting Hole Preacher in. Oh, don't do that. Just because it goes, <laughs> all right, you get one, but I get a treasure off, off of your yeah. second one. So stuff like, so it was, it started out with the commander having only a simple thing, and then I went, okay, I'm going to reinvent the wheel, and I took it a completely different direction. Um, but for standard, uh, I'll use my modern deck that I took to a Grand Prix. After I stopped... I uh, got a little tired of playing um, red green aggro. I moved over to mill, and that was Demer mill, so mm -hmm. blue black, yeah, blue black mill. And I was doing research, and I saw that 
in the competitive format, in competitive modern format, Mill only made up 0.25% of the meta. So I went, that's that's a very small amount. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so I wanted to go, I want that number to be just a smidge higher. And so I built a home, a very decent, in my opinion. It was very efficient. It worked well for my liking, for the people that I mm-hmm. tested it against. It worked well against them. And it was a home. I built that one around a theme uh, archetype. Yeah. I built that deck solely off of that archetype, and I found cards that work well together. And all in all, it was a very nice deck. I think the most expensive thing that I had in it were the four fetch lands. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, luckily they were depleted deltas, so I think they were only like 40 bucks a pop, but at that point I yeah, didn't. Yeah, only. But it all depends on how I'm kind of feeling. Like, um, back when War of the Spark was in standard, I built a um, red-green aggro deck because I saw Gruul... Uh, Gruul Spellbreaker. Yeah, Gruul yes, Spellbreaker. That thing was vicious. I remember that deck. I, I saw that and went, I need three or more of these, and I want to build a deck around it. And so I did. I built a deck that... And most of the cards in it were actually from War of the Spark. Yeah. Because it also had the, uh, it had like Domri in it to give them plus one plus ones. Rhythm of the Wild, which Rhythm. I don't think was War of the Spark, but doesn't matter. Yeah, it same was the, idea. Same block. Zerta Goblin. Yeah. yeah, that kind of deal. So like, it, yeah. Um, so like, it was a very aggressive deck, but it also had benefits for it because it had um, the Planeswalker, I forget his name, but he's the one, it, the uncommon one, uh, Jang. Jiang Yu. Yeah. He gave counters. Um, yeah, he gave counters, yeah. and he had the static ability where if it had a plus one, plus one counter on it, it made him into mana dorks. Oh, now i got to figure out... Hold on. Because that's why he was in there, because right. I could make my creatures... I could tap my creature for mana to put out a very big Ujin's con- Conjuring. Yes, I remember that. So mm-hmm. I could have a very big creature, and so that was very redundant. Um... So, that's the one that I built, that's a standard deck at the time, that I built after I saw a card. And I was like, yes. Yeah. And it also took me back to the to my roots, because the first standard deck that I built was red-green aggro, and so it felt like I was going home. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can tell you a story about how, how I got into, how I managed to build my own deck, but that's a difference. But the... There was a different time for that one. But it's it all depends on what I'm building for, what I'm building, it, you know, kind of like how I'm feeling that day. Yeah. Um, yep, there's the... There, Jung, Jung, oh, no, it's, it's Jung Yungu. Yeah. Uh, Wildcrafter. Right. Yeah, each creature with a plus one, plus one on, on it, tap, add one of any color to your... Uh, yeah. One of any color. Nice. And you can... Um, for minus one, you get to put a plus one plus one counter on target creatures. You get to make a mana create, dork. Create mana dorks. That's great. And with it, with Rhythm of the Wild, Domri being able to give uh, yeah, um, right, I could get a lot of creatures out that have plus one plus one counters. Nice. I know I'm rambling at this point, so all in all, it's situational. Yeah, but bottom line, have fun. Oh yeah, get creative. Build what you Think want. outside the box. Mm-hmm. 
Oh. Try something weird. Try something goofy that you think, hey, I, I think these two cards would work really well together, and this one helps it out. So just try it. All right. So that's enough of story time. <laughs> <laughs> so for if you want to contact us and give us uh, questions, you can go ahead and email us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at mtgunderthehood. And... Look for it now because we now have a Facebook. Joe, what's the, what's do our listeners have to look for to find that? Well, if you uh, go to MTG under the hood, you will find our Facebook page, and at that point, you know, send uh, leave us some comments, give us some feedback on the episodes, let us know what you think, um, some ways that you know it can improve. If you have some ideas for maybe some segments, some things that we might need to include that would be especially helpful for you. Um, newer listeners less experienced listeners we would greatly like to help you out the best that we can so give us some feedback let us know how things are going all right and with that we're gonna sign off thank you for listening to this episode of magic the gathering under the hood i'm chris and i'm joe we look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode stay tuned